Welcome to the stream, a bi-weekly podcast from myself, Chelsea Frisbee, and my co-host, Anna Janiszewski. We stream our thoughts on mindfulness, mental health, self-care, spirituality, and all the ways that we move through life, coming from a couple different perspectives. Myself, from more of a coaching and spiritual mentor background, and Anna as a student of psychology and mental health. In this episode, we move through the topic of perfectionism, how it manifests in ourselves, our culture. We bring up uh, how perfectionism and white supremacy are related, as well as how many of us learn perfectionism through the American educational system. We talk about the problems it creates, and then some really practical ways that we can, as individuals and as a society, try to be more anti-perfectionistic. Enjoy. Our topic today is perfectionism. Uh, we like to choose a different theme for each show, and uh, this this was high on the list because Anna and I both love uh, talking about perfectionism because we both happen to be recovering perfectionists. So we're going to talk about what it is, where it comes from, uh, why it can be problematic, and also very importantly, some antidotes to perfectionism and what's possible when we embrace imperfection. So we'll start with uh, just what what is perfectionism? What do we mean when we say that? We're going to be talking about it today as really as the intolerance of missing the mark. Oxford Dictionary defines it as the refusal to accept any standard short of perfection. And so it's not just wanting to get things right all the time. It's really, we're talking about it in terms of an avoidance of failure. It's seeing any sort of imperfection or mistake as wrong or bad or to be judged and avoided and intolerated at all costs. Yeah, so getting a little bit more into the nitty gritty of where it comes from, um, certainly some of us are just more wired to be attentive or even obsessive about details and biological factors absolutely play a role as well. But there usually is a history of experiences that in some way or another reinforces this intolerance of and aversion to imperfection. And very often these experiences are from childhood, anything from the extreme of um, an abusive situation. If for instance, a child comes home having done poorly on something in school and is beaten or uh, there might be a situation where there's neglect if a child never really seems to get much attention either at home or at school and suddenly they are reaping the rewards of all sorts of attention when they get good grades and um, they really focus on that or maybe it's a simple matter of getting a lot of praise and admiration for good grades in school um, from whatever source and and that just feels good and reinforces that connection in their mind, that drive for perfection. Um, or maybe there's a totally innocent moment where a report card is brought home, a bunch of A's, there's a C, and rather than pointing out all the A's, a parent might immediately jump to, what's up with that C? And, you know, not that one instance of that is necessarily going to result in a lifetime of problematic perfectionism, um, but all of which is just to say that 
it can come from a number of situations and it's really about how it's internalized that message and a lot of these examples do deal with grades because very often that's where perfectionism tends to set in at first because it's such a strange and unnatural environment in that way with with grades and and those markers of um, achievement and for that reason often after school people find that the adjustment phase for anyone who struggles with perfectionism through school where they do really well and most likely enjoy that environment to some degree therefore or at least feel comfortable in it then in the workforce can can feel a little bit out of sorts and have a hard time getting their bearing. Um, I personally, getting into some anecdotes on the personal front, recall a number of situations in which for me it was a matter of really having a hard time emotionally with mistakes if I messed something up. I remember singing uh, at some competition where I started singing and the first line I messed something up and I just had this overwhelming paralyzing feeling of having just messed up and and not being able to get another chance and thereafter a lot of my more extreme perfectionist problems manifested in rewriting papers reworking things and making sure I had absolutely every little detail perfect before I handed it in or before I allowed someone else to see it that I, so that I wouldn't put out less than perfect work. The consequences of that to me felt intolerable. Um, happy to say I have changed considerably in those regards and I still do certainly indulge in some perfectionist urges here and there, but I've learned to compartmentalize it to things like fine woodworking, for instance. Although even that, I've gotten a little bit sloppy lately, and I frankly am kind of proud of that. Congratulations, Anna. Thank you. That's a really big achievement. (laughs) Sloppy, yeah, I love it. (laughs) Yeah, I can definitely resonate with uh, some of those experiences, like early childhood experiences with with school and grades. And um, not to say that that everyone has has these experiences, but um, I think, for one thing, this is a really common common uh thing that people struggle with is is perfectionism and how how it shows up in our lives now as adults and how it showed up as as kids um one of my earliest elementary school memories is uh in second grade i got one problem wrong on my spelling test for the first time i didn't get a 100 and i just I just remember sitting in class in tears. Like, mm. I was devastated <laughs> that I had gotten, you know, like a 90 or whatever. Yeah. And that that has always stuck in my head. And I did a lot of, of like, personal work around this in college and um, realizing that, that part of it had been, like, a, you know, that perfectionist tendency, but also seeing part of my worth as as tied to the grades that I was getting, uh, and realizing like, whoa, like that's messed up. I need to be able to feel good about myself, whether I get an A or a D. Mm -hmm. And, um, it, it definitely took some time and awareness to even figure out that that was an issue and then, and then to shift it. Um, but yeah, I think school, and then that goes, that definitely goes into, to the workplace, and employers as well. I remember in one of my early job interviews, 
you know, they ask that question of like, what are your strengths and your weaknesses or whatever? And I was really proud of the fact that one of my strengths was being a perfectionist mm, yeah. because right. It is, it's like very, um, it can be, I think, especially in depending on the workplace and the culture that it is really desirably desirable from a, an employer standpoint to have someone who is going to do whatever they can to make sure that they don't fail. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and that they're, especially when applied to all circumstances or to all factors of life, um, that can have some really negative patterns and negative impacts. Um, and so we'll talk a little bit about that. But I also just wanted to bring up one concept that I've been working with recently, um, or just getting to know a little bit more, is the idea that uh, perfectionism can be a tool of white supremacy culture. So there's a really great article called White Supremacy Culture written by Tima Okun that I highly recommend looking up. Um, and you'll see that perfectionism is listed as the very first characteristic of white supremacy culture. So very briefly, the concept is that racism is based on the myth that whiteness um, is superior to all other races and that it's the, the norm against which all others are judged. Um, and you can see this in lots of aspects of our culture. Um, and that perfectionism, it actually perpetuates this norm. And it really just doesn't contribute to racial equity and social justice efforts at all. It's um, perfectionism is, is really rooted in, oftentimes rooted in control and shame and fear. And so for me as a white woman, it's counterproductive for me to try to be the perfect ally because um, perfectionism is trying to protect against failure and mistakes, which I actually need to be willing to make in order to receive feedback and be wrong um, in the process of, of trying to be a good ally. So there's a, a really good blog post that goes more into details on this that I also recommend um, if you're interested in learning more, it's um, if you Google Ditch Perfect, which I also really like. I like that name. Um, it's a perfectionism coach that um, I, I recommend looking up if you're interested. Very cool. Thank you for sharing those resources. Um, and yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I'd never really thought about it in that context before. And I think it truly is really important to in thinking about it in that context to try to be mindful of the difference between having an unhealthy standard of perfection as you're describing, um, and then differentiate between that and the factor of accountability. We were talking, walking and talking the other day uh, about that difference on the micro level in relationships, how it's not, how it's healthy to not expect or demand perfection in a partner and how the mantra I've kind of begun to adopt in many areas of my life of good enough is great is something that I've grown to apply to my outlook on partnership as well. Um, often actually, in fact, it's more like good enough is awesome <laughs> because I truly believe that people in relationships are so complex that if with all factors taken into account, I can describe a partner as good enough to me that doesn't register as settling for less than what I want or some such that's actually 
genuinely fantastic. But as we were pointing out, that's only true, of course, if there's a necessary foundation of healthy boundaries and effective communication and negotiation of needs and all of that, because otherwise that philosophy of good enough is great uh, can be dangerous, serving as a rationalization that allows us to allow others repeated boundary violations or even outright abuse or simply to fit ourselves into someone else's life under the guise of having realistic standards and not expecting or striving for perfection, which all of that I would say is mirrored on this macro level that you're describing Chelsea as well in combating racism, where there also has to be that differentiation between the necessity for allowing for imperfection and seeing the importance of that. And then on the other hand, the factor of accountability, which is a must, a firm and fundamental must and not to be confused with perfectionism itself, right? Yeah, it's really nuanced. I mean, I feel like that's so many of the topics that we we discuss here on this show are um, are nuanced, and and there's a lot of there's you can see that there's a lot of layers too. Like we we talked about boundaries a few weeks ago, and and so that you know that just what you said there about um, needing to have strong boundaries in place in order for to allow for perfect right. imperfection right i think is is a really good point and a good example of how so many of these these themes you know and um, topics that we're talking about are so interconnected and like mm. interwoven yeah. um which i think is is kind of cool because that's how life is too it's like it's not just like oh yeah <laughs> that one thing perfectionism got it check check uh i can go on now to next week we're going to be talking about acceptance so these can be things that um we think about and we work on in different aspects of our life knowing that that everything will will be cyclical and we'll keep coming back to mm-hmm. as well um and so you know when we start to think about what does this sort of pervasive perfectionism do what is what problems can it create uh especially on the individual level i've experienced personally for myself um and also i work with coaching clients on this a lot as well um that perfectionism really kills creativity because it is that intolerance of missing the mark um for anyone who has experienced art or attempted to create art themselves you'll you'll be familiar with the fact that like creativity is is all about um i don't know if mistakes is the word but like not perfection (laughs) it's all about imperfection um and and trying things and seeing where it goes and being willing to to mess up as part of the process of creating. Um, there's a certain need in in creating, and especially if you're creating to then share with other people in um, getting out of your comfort zone and also being willing to be bad at something to start with, you know, being willing to be a beginner at something. Um, I 
have felt like this very recently as I started working on a book a few years ago where I was, if I had, had stayed in my perfectionist tendencies, I just never would have finished it because you could rewrite something as you were talking about before. You can rewrite something like a hundred times. I could spend my whole life rewriting the book that I just finished, or I can decide that, you know what, this isn't perfect. This is good enough. Maybe there are some things that I would change, um, but that the actually having a finished product to then be able to share with with other people is um is better than than like it staying on my computer for 10 years trying to to reach an uh unreachable standard of perfection by my own my own standards so that's something that that I learned just about uh being a writer and being willing to be imperfect to be uh feel like I'm really not doing something well or feel like I could be doing something better, but still do it and still, um, yeah, it's sort of like still have a commitment to, to what happens when, when I allow creativity to happen instead of perfectionism. Um, and, and that over time, specifically over the last two years, I've been pushing myself to do things that uh, I'm imperfect at and that I'm maybe not good at to start with. And I've been slowly getting used to that feeling of of um, missing the mark, missing my own high standards and of um, being a beginner at something. Yeah, that's so gorgeous. There's so much that you miss out on, could miss out on, will miss out on, really, if you don't allow yourself to be willing to make those mistakes or just put yourself out into that into that sort of scary zone. Um, that's certainly a big problem with sticking to the perfectionist safety realm. Um, it's also, you know, another problem interpersonally is that it's also very isolating to be stuck in that space of insisting on perfection as we probably all know people who are really intent on getting things perfect tend to feel that they need to do it all themselves and that can feel very stifling for those around them and cut off rewarding social connections and deprive them of the benefits of teamwork and all of the other avenues that open up um if you learn how to sort of relinquish a bit of that control and delegate responsibilities to other, which is really a powerful thing. And I think often marks a crucial turning point in a lot of different relationships, whether they're partnerships or families or business as well, um, because isolation really is bad for your mental and emotional health and your physical health. It's all tied together. Um, and going back to the definition that we're using for perfectionism, then all problems stemming from perfectionism, as we've mentioned, aren't so much about simply having high standards or even being super invested in success, but rather about being intolerant of imperfections and errors. And it's about the feeling that that creates, which usually shows up as some form of anxiety or depression, typically, 
um, and the repercussions, the problems this creates, the repercussions are actually really dire in terms of overall life satisfaction because the emphasis becomes so focused on that side of things, the possibility of falling short or being imperfect, that I would actually even argue that all of this often naturally comes along with a blunted pleasure response where the negative feelings and any attempts to avoid them are looming so large for someone that any positive feelings surrounding success are dwarfed, where it's like someone with perfectionism might be absolutely crushed by even the prospect of getting an A minus, but when they get an A, they're, it just rolls off of them. They're like, yeah, so what? That's what I was supposed to do. You know, it's, there's not this sense of joy that compensates for the fear on the other end of the spectrum. And I would absolutely say that that's one of the biggest issues with perfectionism as a lens for life is that it simultaneously reinforces and magnifies the negative while shifting focus away from the positive and the possibilities. Mm. That's so interesting. Um, the I, I've just been thinking a lot about that recently, about how easy it is for me to fall back into like a scarcity mindset as opposed to an abundance mindset. Mm. And, and what you just said there at the end about like magnifying the negative and shifting away from the positive. Like, I think that's how I lived a lot of my early adult life. Um, and it's only been recently in the last few years that I've noticed that and been able to consciously like move towards, uh, yeah, more of a, a lifestyle and a mindset that does focus more on the positive. Um, because, perfectionism can really it it can create as you were talking about anxiety and shame and like that lack of enjoyment and and like a sort of a gripping at the things that that we feel like we need or or we need to avoid in order to feel good um and that focus on um joy and and what makes us feel good is so much better it's so much better um and we'll we'll talk in a little bit about some of the the antidotes to perfectionism and how we can start to to notice like be aware of tendencies that really aren't aren't helpful and um moving towards imperfection in in more ways i did want to share just one story about perfectionism that um came up this week so i i run a, a coaching and retreats business and i have a retreat space in vermont that's about four hours away and last summer i started hosting solo and small group retreats at this cabin um for mostly for women to to get away and just kind of have a break be in an intentional space for relaxation and unplugging and sort of resetting away from the rest of their lives and it was really it was something I kind of made up but that I really enjoyed like creating for other people and um one of the the things that I realized at the end of my first retreat season was 
was how I got into this spiral of, of perfectionism and anxiety around wanting to like create the most amazing experience possible for my clients, which I think is ultimately a good thing, but that when, you know, like the tiniest little thing of like not having the YouTube login set up, um, or, you know, not having thought of like put the perfect system in place for people to have water in case they didn't like the taste of <laughs> the regular water. Like I, I got into this filer of like, oh, I think I'm like gripping onto creating the perfect experience here instead of recognizing that like there's no way it can be perfect and uh, being willing to trust my clients and myself and like communication and having systems in place to make sure that even if the whatever a light bulb goes out <laughs> that they will still have a positive healing uh relaxing experience and that I will be okay as as the person who's helping them create that so um this has been a helpful conversation for me to just see some of those tendencies as I go into my second retreat season and and try to um have some more self compassion for uh for my little perfect. We have so far discussed what it is, where it comes from, and some ways in which it can be problematic. And now we're going to move on to some antidotes to perfectionism, some ways we can be anti-perfectionist and what's possible when we actually embrace imperfection in life. So for treatment for perfectionism in either a clinical sense or just in a daily practice context, it's all about exposure exercises. And if you know me, you know I won't shut up about exposure exercises. Um, <laughs> this means basically exposure and increased tolerance to unwanted feelings. Figure out what feelings you're trying to avoid when you are driven by a perfectionist urge. What are you trying to avoid feeling? What feels intolerable to you? And then instead of avoiding it or trying to decrease these feelings, you would intentionally expose yourself to them and even amplify them if you're able so that you learn on a brain connection level that they're really not the super dangerous things that you have come to believe on that level that they are this whole time. Because if you're doing the opposite over time, if you end up changing course every single time you feel an unpleasant feeling in order to try to avoid it the second it shows up you are literally on that brain-based level teaching your lower brain that it's a scary thing and that it, it needs to be avoided and that's all that part of your brain is going to learn because that lower part of your brain, which is responsible for alerting you to danger, does not understand the nuance of linguistic explanation. In other words, you are not able to think your way out of anxiety. <laughs> um, when you avoid a feeling, you're teaching that part of your brain that every time that feeling comes up or whatever trigger it's associated with, it should start sounding that alarm and it learns that it must therefore be dangerous because otherwise you wouldn't be taking that action to try to avoid it or reduce it. So this is a very vicious cycle. And I think that one of the best things to keep in mind here is that whatever feeling you're experiencing isn't necessarily a reflection of the reality of the situation. Feelings aren't facts. 
Um, your brain won't learn that though, unless you teach it through experience. So with, um, my own perfectionist, obsessive compulsive tendencies, for example, with my rereading and revising and checking compulsions earlier in life, I learned when I was intentionally doing exposure exercises that if I were just to write out a text message, say, or an email and send it without reading it over at all, even the thought of that at first would trigger a wave of panic in me that I, what if I make an error? What if, and that's as an aside, another helpful um, tool to use is follow your fear, question yourself, interrogate yourself. Well, so what if I make an error, then what, what am I afraid of? What do I think is going to happen then? And I said, well, then because maybe people will think less of me. Okay. Well, why is that such a, (laughs) such a problem? Okay. Well, why does that scare you? Okay. Well, why, you know, like a child asking why, 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 why? Um, but so I, I did for my exposure exercises do just that I forced myself to type things out quickly and hit send or even in certain situations to intentionally put a typo in there and send it promising myself. I am not going to tell this person I did that on purpose. (laughs) And I would then just have to sit and deal with whatever feelings followed, which would roll in, they would peak and then who knew they would dissipate all on their own. They'd start coming down all all on their own, which is a phase that, I never got to before that because I was rushing in to try to put out a fire that really wasn't there. Um, But through this course of letting these uncomfortable feelings peak and then go back down on their own, I was over time undoing that damage and teaching my brain, training my brain that this thing that I thought was such a big deal clearly isn't, it's not dangerous. It's not something that I have to um, shoot out flares about every time it comes up. Um, so over time, these sorts of exposure exercises actually can become kind of addictive in a good way in themselves. I found that to be the case anyway, because the feeling physically of anxiety is actually the same feeling on a body level as the feeling of excitement. It just depends on who you're asking and how they've learned to assign meaning to that particular physical feeling. You know, the butterflies in your stomach thing, if you're about to get on stage could be, mortifying, uh, anxiety provoking for someone and someone else might be like, yeah, I was getting pumped up and really ready to go. Um, and it is in fact, truly possible to learn to see these moments of choosing to lean into your fear as exciting and as naturally confidence boosting as you, um, you know, as you keep in mind that courage does require fear after all. Yeah, that, That all makes me think about a concept that I've been exposed to in the last year, which is kind of in the coaching world, um, seeing fear or like perfectionism is another way that this can show up. Um, But basically the things that hold us back as resistance, sort of like a a label that that we put on on something that is keeping us stuck, keeping us um, maybe oftentimes um, yeah, afraid or, or just kind of stuck in like a smallness and the ways to start moving through that, especially, you know, kind of going back to creativity, especially if you're, you're wanting to, um, 
be an artist or like be more exposed in in the world and and you're like being held back sometimes by perfectionism sometimes just by fear one of the the things to to the techniques to move through that is um it's it's to learn to work with it which came to mind when you were talking about you know not avoiding these these feelings um but learning to work with them and there's this concept of um that one of my coaches joanna lindenbaum uses about befriending your fear Mm, and that the process of doing that it's again with all of these these things that we're talking about it's not a one one and done kind of situation it's um learning first like noticing oh yeah i'm i'm noticing that i am that that my form of resistance is coming up maybe it's perfectionism today maybe it's procrastination um there's lots of different ways that that this can manifest so first it's just being aware of it and then the second um the second step is is like being curious about it getting to know a little bit oftentimes these things do have really deep roots um and you know just being you know this is a a skill that's developed over time but being curious about where it's coming from and then um learning to like shift towards um like getting used to that feeling learning to to actually when you're talking about fear and 